Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and as regular listeners will know, the theme of this series is community. So who better to invite onto the show than someone who's known as a master of community? My guest today is David Spinks. He's the co-founder of CMX, the annual conference and community of over 20,000 community professionals. In 2019, CMX was acquired by Bevy, and after serving as VP of community for three years, David decided last year to take a sabbatical. So he stepped away from his role at Bevy and took several months off, completely separating himself from work. And we discussed that in detail in today's pod. It really resonated for me because I had a similar situation a few years back when I left the company I've been running for 10 years, and I undertook a period of self-reflection and reinvention which has led to this podcast and the newsletter the book and everything else I've been doing so I really enjoyed hearing David's perspective as you'll hear he's really refreshing in the way that he talks and writes about his personal experience he shares those insights in his newsletter and we had a really engaging chat not just about how he's reimagined his relationship between work and life but also his relationship with community he obviously stepped away after a busy 15 years or so in that world but he's found his way back to community this time with a fresh pair of eyes so in a moment you're going to hear our conversation in which we discussed why he decided to take a sabbatical in the first place and how he approached it his return to community building the idea of community-led growth and how increasingly communities are the product how community can play a role in personal and professional growth and as you'd expect david offers some really personal insights on this and the importance of embracing experimentation and to an extent just putting one foot in front of the other trusting the process so if you enjoy listening to our chat today make sure you check out the future work life newsletter which i'll be writing tomorrow and have a listen back to the previous episodes of the podcast but that's enough from me for now let's jump into my conversation with david spinks okay where should we start um let's start with sabbaticals I'm, I'm intrigued. Mm. What was the most fun new thing you discovered while taking time off from the daily grind? Hmm. I think um, what I most of what I discovered were the things that I don't like, uh, the things that I was doing in my life that were draining me. That you mm. don't realize when you're doing it because you're doing so many things. It's always hard to pinpoint what what is the thing that is draining you. But then when you stop everything you drop everything i wasn't doing calls i stopped social media i stopped working i just mm. like started every day it was just open my kids were in daycare my wife was at work it was just literally just me just kind of wandering the world for a while until we moved and did a road trip as a family then that was a different experience but for the first couple of months it was just i would wake up and like what do i want to do today yeah um and then you just realize you, you think about the things that you were doing before and it becomes very apparent that if you were to add this specific thing back into your life, that would feel very exhausting. Hmm. Um, and for me, it was like, for one, it was like zoom calls. Yeah. I, I just, I was on so many zoom, zoom calls. I was a VP of community at a, you know, fast growing tech startup and I was just on meetings all day. And when I stopped doing everything and then thought about what it would feel like to go back to doing meetings, I would like my body would lock up, <laughs> you know, mm. it's like, Oh my God, I definitely don't want to do that. And so now as I'm coming back into work life or some, whatever this next phase is, I've highly optimized for as few meetings as possible. And it's going so well. <laughs> I'm like so much happier. 
Um, so yeah, I think the, the best things you learn are the things that were actually taking away from you in your life that you're just not going to notice until you stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many areas of life, aren't there, where if you take everything away and add them back in, you soon work out which are the positive ones and which aren't. In fact, I was talking about this just in the context of meetings generally on a podcast a few weeks ago, because it is the scourge, isn't it, of the modern workplace? And it doesn't matter whether you're in the office, as we used to be, or now working remotely or hybrid, whatever you're doing. There are still way too many meetings. And everybody says there are way too many meetings. And there has been some really interesting studies and research done where companies have literally just started again, taken everything away. And, you know, companies that had, say, 40 hours of meetings a week, I mean, like really 40 hours of meetings a week, would take everything away and did everything break no it didn't break and they certainly added it back in but by the end they added it back in and maybe they only realized they only needed 10 exactly i i mostly of it like if you have um like if you have a food allergy you know to figure out what it is you have to stop everything right you drop literally all of the food you stop eating everything and then you add you know one thing at a time back in and you're like well did this make me sick did this make me feel yeah. uncomfortable did you always plan to take a sabbatical or was it just something that emerged organically and, you know, by the sounds of it, you then made the most of? I, I wanted to do one for a long time. Um, uh, I had taken long vacations in the past, um, like after CMX was acquired, I uh, kind of already had my honeymoon planned with my wife and we took six weeks off together. Um, so it's not like I didn't take time off uh, throughout the eight years I was working on CMX and, you know, I'd been in tech and working on startups for 15 years. I'd taken time off, but I'd never done a full sabbatical. And and I do think that there's a really big difference between a sabbatical and a vacation, even a long vacation, because a vacation means you're coming back. Mm. And some people call it a sabbatical when it's really just a long vacation. It's a very different experience when there's nothing on the other end waiting for you. Um, like I, I took a year off pretty much for the sabbatical. If I knew that on the other end of that year, I'd be going back to the same problems, the same team, that there's people waiting for me. There's all the stuff that I had before that I kind of just have to go back into. It would have, it would have felt a lot less, freeing a lot less probably more maybe it would have felt less scary actually because there was certainty on the other end about what to do next and the openness is kind of terrifying it's like i have no idea what to do next when should i start again i'm not making any money while i'm on sabbatical yeah um so there's a lot of downsides to it but i wouldn't trade it for the world it was the first time in my whole career that it was just open-ended there's no one waiting on me there's no one i was responsible for or accountable to no one had to check in with. And so um, that's what I always wanted to do for a long time. But, you know, I was running my company. Um, I really wanted to get it to a point where it was sustainable without me, um, where I could leave and it would continue on just, just fine without me. And so I waited to get to that point and um, finally pulled the trigger. Like you say, the reality of life is that you know, you've got to pay the bills and, you know, you have to, if you're going to commit to having that time off, by definition, it means you're not going to be earning during that time. So there has to be something else in your support network, or you must have made a, have a bit of cash in the bank in order to be able to do it. But let's assume that 
people are thinking, look, this is something I can commit to and it's whatever, three months, six months, nine months, whatever it is. Talk me through that process that you went through. Was there a period of just cooling off where you just found yourself unable to de-stress or did you immediately just sink into it? And, and how did it evolve? I'm just interested in how you emerged out the other side and thought, right, that's it. Time for this sabbatical to end. I'm ready to go again. Yeah, I went through many phases, I would say. Definitely did not like immediately feel chill. <laughs> I was still like, you know, my brain was still running mm. at high speeds um and uh it it was it's it always takes time right if you've ever taken a two-week vacation you get to day 13 and that's when you're like oh i finally feel like i've unplugged and then you go back yeah (laughs) um so it definitely took a long time to feel disconnected um at first i was doing a ton of journaling i was probably journaling every day because i was also in this you know high accomplishment, high intensity mindset. So I stopped working and my brain like immediately went into hyperdrive of, all right, like, what do I spend my time on now? Like, how do I make the most of this time? Uh, what, what do I want to do next? What are all the things that I've been thinking about for so long, but I haven't had the space to sit and actually write it down. And so most of my time was spent just walking to parks or biking. And I would just sit somewhere and journal or draw or just like get stuff out of my brain and onto paper. Mm. Um, and I probably didn't really feel disconnected until, yeah, I was in San Francisco for two months and then we moved back to New York and my wife and I did a road trip across the country and it was like leaving San Francisco and getting all of our stuff into a car and like setting off across the country it was probably the first time that I really started to feel detached from work and the life I was living. And it was it was almost, it was nice. It was kind of like a physical representation of leaving behind like entering the liminal space we literally didn't have a home for that month we didn't have an address uh it was literally a liminal space that really aligned with the mental liminal space that i was entering um so yeah there there's a really great book called uh transitions i don't know if you've ever read that one is that a bruce filer one um who wrote that one um i don't think i don't think that's author i'll have to find it yeah. Hold on, let me look it up. Transitions book. Uh, William Bridges. Okay. Um, really good book. And and he talks about transitions, essentially having these three phases. You have deconstruction, you have the liminal space, and then you have reconstruction. Can't yeah. remember if those are the exact words he uses, but those are the words I like to use. Um, and that was really helpful for me as a framework. It was my my friend, Steve Schlaffen recommended I read that book when I was kind of entering this next phase. And it gave me a lot of language to describe what I was experiencing Mm. and feeling. Um, I think we, we pause or we go on sabbatical and we think we're immediately going to enter this liminal space. When in reality, there's this whole phase of deconstruction that you typically will go through where you're unpacking your existing life and your existing mentality and all the things that are wired into you you have to kind of deconstruct it before you find yourself in that liminal space. Um, and then there's the reconstruction when you start kind of putting new pieces back together at the mm. other end, which I was trying to rush into, right? A lot of the time we try to rush right into, all right, I'm on sabbatical. Let me start thinking about what I want to do next. And I'm just, you know, putting the cart in front of the horse and 
going two stages ahead when I really needed to just sit and let things deconstruct for a while. So that was a yeah. really helpful framework for me. Yeah, I mentioned Bruce Spiler <laughs> because all this completely resonates with me because a few years ago I kind of started a transition which I'm definitely still in. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder, I wonder if and when it will ever end. Actually, but um, he Bruce Spiler wrote the book. It, I think it came out just before COVID. So I think because I was experiencing this transition around that time anyway, we really, I mean, it was, it just, it landed so well with me. And he, I guess it's a similar mental model because he talked about three parts to it. And he described the first part as the long goodbye. When we come to terms with leaving the old person behind, then he's, then he's got the messy middle, which I think is a Brené Brown term as well. But that's one where we ditch some habits, acquire new ones. And then the next, the last part is the new beginning in which we re redefine our story and it reflects a new direction, a new path we're on. So I guess exactly. it's a similar, similar sort of thing. And again, I definitely, I could see myself really clearly in those. And of course they, they sort of blur and you think you're moving on to the next stage and you come back and, but it's such a fascinating period. I mean, the journaling bit must've provided clarity, but then in some cases you feel blockages as well. I mean, you sometimes feel like you're not actually making any progress. Yeah. Yeah. For people who are high achievers to stop everything and not be working towards a goal or growing something, you know, that part's hard. Like deconstruction is not something I have a lot of practice with at all. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think your point is spot on that. Uh, and Bridges talks about this in his book, how it's not, it's almost never going to be this like clear three-step phase. Like that's the high level structure to kind of simplify life but life's never actually that simple and in reality you're kind of always going to be doing some deconstructing and you're always going to be in some level of a liminal space you might move into reconstruction and then fall back you know for me i, I came back from sabbatical i worked for a few months but then we had our second child and after she was born i took another two three months uh, i took three months off and all of a sudden i was like deconstructing again and had all this space and but I had felt like momentum and I was ready to like get moving again but then I had to stop and that felt really weird um and uh you know I I've talked about in my newsletter a bunch how there's this fear of when you you're like getting to the point where you feel like you want to reconstruct and you kind of see these paths and there's all these options that now you've reflected on in the liminal space. Now all the options, all the roads are open to you. Literally, it's a circle of roads, right? You could go in any direction. And it's almost, I feel this fear that if I take one step in one, down one path, now all those other roads kind of close off mm. in a way. Mm. And so I felt really stuck for a while in the middle of that circle, not knowing which road to take and being afraid to take one step in any direction. Um, and I still feel that and, you know, I've, I've just opted to put one foot in front of the other and go in a direction that seems good enough and, uh, see how that feels. And, um, actually I was just reflecting yesterday how I'm in, the, I'm in like another weird phase where I'm, I'm, I've been kind of moving down a path for several months now. A lot of things are going well. Um, but I felt like, okay, this is a great point to do a kind of pause and reflection. And I, I'm, I think what I'm going to do is build a, a sort of like quarterly, like every three month practice of do I do it once I was doing it once a year, but I think I want to do it every quarter is like pause, like ask myself a whole bunch of questions about 
Mm. Is this path feeling good? What are the things I'm doing that are bringing me joy? What are the things I'm doing that are bringing me pain? What are my hopes and dreams? Um, what are the things I want to value and prioritize? And and just kind of do a check-in every few months to see like, all right, I committed to walking down this path. Maybe it closed off doors, but in reality it didn't because I could always walk back. So I walked down this path for a while. Am I still happy on this path? If not, cool. Let's let's yeah check out a different path. Mm. Um, and if you could keep doing that, you know, may, maybe you find some answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've, I think I've come to I've sort of reconciled myself with the fact that there's you never feel like you're taking the perfect path, but I feel like if you feel like you're making some progress forward, that just makes a, just a, such a huge difference. And I think you know experimentation has sort of become a really important part of my philosophy my sort of philosophy about work and life and actually if i'm not experimenting to some degree then again i feel like that isn't me progressing although you know equally there are what happens here here let me talk you through and you might recognize this as i experiment more and more and take on accept every new opportunity and say yes to many many new things eventually you're like shit I've just got so many things now I need to focus. And then you're like, just ditch, 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 ditch. Just focus on those things, which are actually bringing me, like you say, bringing me joy. And also that I'm good at to an extent. And I, and it's interesting because I've, again, I'm sort of seeing your journey from afar. Cause I've been, you know, I try, I read your newsletter and my sense is that you are trying, you know, you've clearly reimagined how you want to work and your relationship with work and life. And, but, to, but you've also come, back around to community not that it went away <laughs> but at least at least in my senses you're like okay is that the you know you worked in that's that's how you defined your identity's been defined for all that time and my sense was and correct me if i'm wrong you're like oh is that what i wanted to be in the future but my feeling is you've come back to that and i, I wonder i wonder if that is true and if so why you think that is mm, yeah you're you're touching on the soul crushing questions. <laughs> of well, my life. Yeah. That is yeah, soul crushing. No, it's, 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 it's an intro, it's insights, isn't it? About yourself. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's the journey I'm on right now is navigating those questions of identity. And for the last 15 years of my career, I've been the community guy. I've been, you know, designing my whole professional identity around community. And so when I went on sabbatical, I almost, without realizing it set this expectation for myself that this was the opportunity to do something else and that I would no longer be the community guy. Hmm. And, you know, you spend enough time in any space and you're, you're destined to become jaded on it and see the things that you don't like about it. And I think I was probably exhausted and burned out and feeling overly negative at that time too, to the point where I was like, fuck it. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like maybe I'll start writing fiction. Maybe I'll pick up music. Maybe I'll change career paths. Maybe I'll start a nonprofit. Like there's all these paths that, you know, it was, it was kind of like trying on different identities for size mm. and seeing how it feels. And a lot of them felt good. Um, at the same time, community is what I know really well. Community. It's, it, there's a, sunk cost fallacy or maybe in this case it's not a fallacy it's it's just sunk cost that i've yeah. invested 15 years of my life and career into the, you know building a what ended up being a very strong brand i have a very good reputation in the space so am i just gonna 
leave that all behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I've also been the type of entrepreneur in my life that has never really optimized for income. You know, I always kind of hoped I would get like a big financial break or something, but that came at the cost of any retirement or any significant salary or any benefits. You know, I didn't work for any big tech companies that would have put me in a great financial position. And it's like, now I'm finally in a place where I can start to capture that value and make money and I'm going to walk away from it. And so there's all these like conflicting ideas in my head. Ultimately, when I came back to to writing, which is something I've always loved to do. I've always been a writer. I, I love writing. It's how I got started in my career. I've been writing online since I was a kid. And um, when I started writing, I just tried to make a promise to myself that I wouldn't write anything just because I was trying to fill this opportunity or continue the the same career path. But like, I just had to personally be genuinely interested in writing it. Mm. And it just happened to be that I'm still very interested in community. Yeah. Um, and so where I'm at now is, yeah, I'm <laughs> back in the community, but I'm realizing that community is a pretty vast space with a lot of paths yeah. within it. And, um, I've been able to approach it with a new light and a new voice and a new perspective and the things that were making me jaded or unhappy. Again, I just can choose not to add those things back in and I'm actually getting to experience it in a whole new way where now, you know, I'm getting to write what I want to write without having anyone else to be accountable to, which is very freeing. I feel like I can use my authentic voice and share my perspectives more directly than I've ever been able to in my career. Since I, I remember when I first got started, I was like young out of college. I didn't give a fuck. I would just say whatever I want. And then like, as your career grows and you have a reputation and you just start becoming more like professional and then you have employees and maybe you have a boss and you just like your writing just gets clipped and clipped and clipped and clipped until it's, you know, pretty bland in some ways. Um, and now I feel like I'm almost back to that first point where I'm like, I don't, I don't have an answer to anyone. So yeah. I can say whatever I want. Um, and I'm getting to do consulting and working with like a lot of different kinds of weird communities that's al- allowing me to experience it and experiment in it in new and fun ways. It's not just all tech and SaaS, like is most <laughs> of what I focused on before. So yeah. I, I, again, I don't know if this is the path that I'll always stay on, but right now I'm finding enjoyment in new angles of continuing to uh, research and think and write about community. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think community, as you say, it's takes, it's always taken many shapes, but particularly now, I think just the, because the way we interact with one another has changed so significantly over the past few years and i think that's demanded that communities or businesses have changed the emphasis in a sense about what community means i'm just interested from your point of view what are the most exciting changes you've seen you know you've gone away and had that break and you've come back in like you say you can get involved in the weird and wonderful worlds of community and there are certain things you think that's really exciting to see or just certain inclinations you have towards certain areas yeah, I think one one of the big trends that's exciting to me right now is we're seeing more, you could call them like creator-led communities, you could call them community businesses or community founders, community entrepreneurship, 
But I think um, in the world, if you looked at the community industry, if you call it that, over the last 15 years, it was largely enterprises and startups launching communities around their products. And the idea of starting a community as its own standalone business was um, not not as popular. There are certainly a lot of great ones and a lot of success stories, and CMX was an example of that. Um, but a lot, I guess, a lot of the work I was doing was also in that brand side, and and I'm just enjoying working with independent communities and people who are building community businesses from the ground up. And we're actually seeing some of these businesses become quite successful. Um, and so the idea that community businesses have to be small or um, you can't you know, earn a real income building community, I think that that perception is changing pretty quickly. Um, and that, that's been kind of a sticking point for me for a while because I think Facebook and, you know, every social platform essentially offered community, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes for people who are listening, um, <laughs> community for free and monetize through ads and what that did was create this perception that community builders should do their work for free and mm. that community isn't something worth paying for. It's free. It should be free. It will always be free. It's a public good. Um, and I think that wasn't great because I saw a lot of community builders pour their heart and soul and tons of hours into building a community, but never charging for it, not really knowing how to monetize and ultimately burning out because they couldn't sustain their own life financially, let alone a, a business around it. Um, and so that, that, that part's pretty exciting um, to see. And then I, I think like the things that I'm coming back to are, are some of the things that originally excited me about community. You know, even, even when I was in college, I discovered a little too late, but um, too late to make it my major. But once I started taking sociology classes, I realized I love that stuff. Like I really love, understanding why and how people connect with each other and trying to understand the immeasurable, right? Like communities, this thing that's so hard to, to teach, to structure, to organize in your brain. And I enjoy the practice of trying to anyway. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the writing that I'm going to be doing, a lot of the stuff I'm researching right now is just kind of like gets back to the core of human psychology and why we connect and what it means to form a social identity. And then thinking about how do we apply it to this rapidly changing world with AI and, you know, $4,000 VR goggles and, <laughs> um, you know, there's so much that's already changed in the last few years around how and why we connect. And, you know, AI is an interesting one. It's like how we rely on each other for things. If we start relying on AI to solve all these things for us, that's yet another removal of human connection that we once relied on or enjoyed. And yeah. so things are changing a lot. And I, I enjoy the practice of understanding how how that's impacting how we connect and what we can do to continue to meaningfully connect and try to not be lonely while, mm. while all this stuff is changing around us. Just to follow up on a couple of those points for those listening who feel, okay, community, as we discussed, it can mean many different things. It might even feel a bit nebulous to some people. It's like a, okay, well, I kind of get what that means, but I'm not 
quite sure. And particularly if you've never been part of particularly an online community, it's difficult sometimes to understand actually how the dynamics work and particularly how you can make money and monetize the community directly and turn that into a business. Can you maybe give us an example or two of how people are doing that and how that looks different from, for example, what you were doing before where, you know, maybe you're launching a a SaaS business and you're building community as part of the strategy to grow that company. What's the difference? Um, Yeah. I mean, so examples of communities that are, or businesses that their product is community. Um, So chief is a really popular one that a lot of people have heard about recently. It's a community for uh, women in, in executive positions um and you know they're valued at over a billion dollars and 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 it's a large community but people the members experience it in an intimate way because they're put into these pods into these small groups that they meet with every month and that's not a new model things like ypo have existed for a long time i think people are finally catching on that like that's also a really good business model and you can apply that model to a lot of different spaces um hampton is one that just came out for kind of startup founders um, both, both like very successful businesses. Um, one of my clients is a company called the Tech Tribe. Uh, they uh, are a community for people who run IT businesses. Um, you know, not a totally sexy community. They have tons of members paying every year. You know, it's generating millions in revenue. They're 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 really really successful, and it's just a community business. And they give them um, they offer a lot of other benefits and like guides and they actually have a a product that they started they built just for the community to help them do their own marketing and stuff like that so um uh, but that's just another really good example of a community business um i mean i'm even i'm working with a gym right now a physical gym called engage um and uh there it's awesome it's awesome to like think about community models and how do you apply it to a physical gym and and they're doing incredible. They they're at max capacity. They have like an over ninety five or ninety seven percent retention rate of their clients. Mm. Um, and it's like they're doing community things that most tech companies kind of dream of. Um, and so yeah, those are some of the kinds of communities that I'm working with that I'm excited about. And um, it's not that I'm 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 still excited to work with uh, with companies who are launching communities. Um, one of my other clients is a company called Prenda, uh, which is really cool. It's a platform for micro schools. So parents who yeah. want to homeschool in, in groups, essentially it's like group homeschooling. Yeah. Um, it's a platform to connect them. And, but it's a huge change for somebody, for a parent to decide to take their kid out of the public school system or even private school system and shift to a homeschooling model or micro schooling model. And so we're building community that helps people who are interested in, making that leap uh, to, mm. to essentially have social support around them. Um, so they're, they're really cool aspects of community for brands as well. Um, That's a great example. I can, I, yeah. I mean, I, I can, you can see that. I said, what's, what's brilliant about all of these is that, and you, know, you, you mentioned a couple of those kind of business communities and you could apply that to any reasonably sized niche. I mean, you know, many of these, what we talk about niches are actually very large segments and large populations of people. And you can completely see how just having the support of your peers. I mean, look, even the conversation we've had for the first half of this podcast, where you're not really talking about business, you're just talking about the sorts of challenges that as entrepreneurs and as people, as founders, you experience along the way. And I bet, 
I'd imagine. And I'm not part of one of these communities, although the idea definitely appeals to me because I could just see that, you know, having somebody at a similar stage to you, whatever that is, similar stage of life, similar stage of business, there's just something unique about that interaction. And I guess so as a parent, I can see that having a community to connect with who you can share the challenges you're having related to your child's upbringing or education, or in some cases, you know, I was chatting to somebody the other day whose child's got special educational needs. And I can imagine that'd be an incredible way to connect people as well. So such an interesting, yeah, such an interesting way to do it. One of my favorite communities that I'm a part of now is called dad it on Reddit. It's like the Reddit for dads (laughs) and it's amazing. Yeah. It's like, it's one of the most positive, wholesome communities. You would kind of think like, oh, it's a dad community. It's a lot of bros just broing out. And it's just not. It's like dads talking about crying because they like didn't mm. know how to help their kid through something and dealing with kids with or, or how to how to like support their kids with special needs, um, yeah. difficulties that they're having with their marriage or their relationships that they really feel like they can only talk to other dads about. It's, it's just like this incredible space on Reddit that, you know, I. I don't, I don't post, I'm more of a, a lurker, a learner, as people like to call them there, but <laughs> it's, it's, you know, once in a while I'll jump in a conversation. Um, yeah. Parenting is a huge one. Health. If you have a health challenge or healthcare, or you have health goals, that's, that's massive for community. If you're struggling with something like an addiction um, or a loss of family members or really powerful community, there's so many things. And, and for me now, you know, I've been saying in my newsletter how like I'm not, I'm never starting a community again, or I'm not going to start a community now because I know how much work it is. But of course, I can't always help myself. But I ended up starting one, but it's not a big community. There's actually we just added our fourth member. It's just a WhatsApp group of other creators. It's just called Creator Friends, and mm. there's four of us in a WhatsApp chat and we talk like almost every day. And some days it's like, hey, I tried this thing and it worked for me. And some days it's like. I fucking hate having to post to social media. This is killing me. And, you know, or I hosted a webinar and no one showed up, (laughs) you know, I'm going to go cry in a corner for a while. It's just like, um, it's just like a little (laughs) space. You said it exactly. Communities are really powerful when it's essentially your peers that are at a similar stage in their journey to you. Mm. And, And now you feel like you can kind of go through that journey on your own. And so for people who are thinking about starting a community or wherever they are, you know, you're in a transition in your life, find three other people, find two other people that are in a similar journey in a similar stage and just say like, Hey, you know, would you be down to do a group chat thread and we'll see if it works and put it out there. And I know I've been added to so many WhatsApp groups that started and two weeks later we're dead and that's okay. You know, it's trial and error and it doesn't always click, but when it clicks, you know, already the four people in this group have said that like this space has been one of the most meaningful spaces for them and it's only been up for like six weeks. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, nice. you know, when, it, when it clicks, it can really work when you're solving your own problem, you don't need a whole big strategy. Just follow your own intuition. Yeah. Um, it's, it's powerful stuff. It See, is. this is why I keep coming back to it. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's the, important. The enthusiasm's back. It's uh, <sighs> nice. God damn it. <laughs> so, um, sort of last question on this, really, but and, I, and this is a broader point, but but the idea of building in public from a startup point of view, it's become popularized 
And I think like a lot of these things, people almost overthink it. It almost becomes performative. It's like, well, I'm building in public and it almost it becomes part of a marketing strategy. My sense, again, is that just feeling naturally able to share your thought process, it just comes naturally to you. Do you think those, that is part of the reason that you got into community? Or do you think being part of building communities has contributed to that? Or is it a bit of both? Probably a bit of both. I I don't know why I got into communities, really. I mean, the the story I have in my head, which, you know, you know, you kind of paint stories in your head about why you do anything in life. But, um, you know, I grew up and I've always been on the more extroverted side of the spectrum, less so these days than I used to be. But um, I always loved connecting with people and, you know, doing things and being active and being parts of groups. And I like I always like being the person to try to connect with all the different groups. You know, it's like I liked being um, the 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 mesh between different circles and but when i was a kid i like had those same urges and needs but um i had like a series of experiences where uh i was kind of cut out from my core friend groups and treated pretty poorly or harshly um i was excluded and 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 that hurt a lot um and Mm. i just you know i I also just remember being very obsessed with trying to understand um, how, how people fit in, what, what makes someone cool or charismatic. I remember watching people that I, that like were popular or fit in. And I'd, I'd like try to understand, like straight up look at their face. Like how is their face moving? Like when do they smile? (laughs) How do they tell a joke? How do they hold themselves? Um, And so Mm. I think I just always been really fascinated again, it goes back to that same question of like, why do people connect with each other and how do they connect? Um, and I found, I ended up finding connection on the internet at a pretty early age before that was like a normal thing to do. And so I became very comfortable with internet communities for a long time. Um, and so that, that kind of, I think that just kind of set me down this path of community and understanding it and, and, specifically online communities and trying to understand how they come together. And I was building a online forums when I was in middle school for video games. So I just, I got into it early and, and that never stopped um, on the transparency fronts. I think that's also just part of who I am. Um, and maybe those things are related. Maybe that's something I learned that when people are transparent, uh, people really like to connect with them. Maybe it's something I tried a bunch of times and, um, just felt really connected with people when I would do that. It's not really how I was raised because my parents both, uh, they weren't, they weren't overly transparent. They kind of kept things close to their chest. They wouldn't, you know, they would, they wouldn't talk about money with other people. They wouldn't, you know, if my mom went to talk to someone to help get me into a program that was, you know, waitlist only or something. And I would tell someone that my mom went to talk to them. She'd be like, don't tell them that. Like, they don't need to know that. They don't need to know how you got into the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they were, they're hustlers. Both of them are immigrants and, you know, would do whatever it takes to um, support their family and succeed, but they didn't want anyone to know necessarily like what they did to succeed. Yeah. And for me, I've just always found, that when I share things openly, it's one, it's helpful for me. 
because I just, I get all these other people to talk to about this stuff. I, I feel less alone when I just put it out there. It's not things that I'm just holding to myself. Um, I love the connection that I get to experience with people when I share that because they feel like they really get to know me. They feel like they can trust me because I'm being open and honest. Um, and I love hearing from people who say that it really helped them when I share the things yeah. that I'm struggling with or the things that worked for me or whatever it is. Um, sometimes it's practical. Like someone responded to my last email and they're like, this helped me realize that I am charging way too little for my consulting. And other people are like, you know, I'm dealing with the same kind of struggles around figuring out what to do next. And mm. um, you're, you sharing your experience really gave me a lot of language and made me feel like I'm not alone in doing that. So yeah, I, I think I just, I've gotten so much value from taking that approach um, that it's just reinforced something that I naturally gravitated toward. Mm. Well, it's a super cool thing to be able to do, actually. And I, I've got a lot better over the past few years. I've always been uh, slightly guarded about what I've discussed. And I think certainly that was the kind of cultural thing, maybe, about the last business. It was like, you don't reveal too much about the business because just as sometimes things go well, you know, things sometimes things don't go so well. For, and it was always a bit like, just keep your cards close to your chest. But I'm definitely changing it. And it's cool seeing other people you know do that it's, it's inspiring because i think you're right i think people do connect and that's led actually led to opportunities not that that's why i've done it but it definitely leads to opportunities when you talk about stuff and people come to you it, it's hard to do there's mm. like a deep discomfort i feel right before i hit publish on these things every time it's like yeah. i'm sharing too much yeah are people gonna judge me for these things i was worried that people will be like you're you're charging how much for consulting like <laughs> what an asshole um <laughs> Or, you know, what are my clients going to think if I share things openly? Like, there's just yeah. so many things that you wonder, what are people going to think if I share this stuff? Also, there's this, like, game that people play in the creator world where most of the things I share are the highlights. Like, hey, look, I hit this milestone on my newsletter. Yeah. I grew my podcast. I hit this revenue goal. Um, and there's this idea or this feeling that you need to portray success in order to be successful. Uh, you need people to view you as someone who knows what you're doing if you're gonna if they're gonna pay you to essentially teach them how to do it, right? Um, and that there's that level too. I'm like, I'm I'm if I tell people I don't know what I'm doing, are, are they really gonna want to pay me to do this work? Are they gonna continue to read my stuff? Um, <laughs> are they gonna follow me for inspiration if I'm completely lost? Um, but literally, that that happens zero percent of the time. A hundred percent of the time, I do it, and people only feel like they trust you more and they actually believe when you say good things are happening they believe you more because you've also told them when bad things are happening yeah, yeah. well when i first started this podcast and i sometimes wonder whether i should t change the name back it was called take my advice i'm not using it so i uh, <laughs> i was uh, owning owning that idea um cool man look really good speech here. i'm actually going to steal uh something that you did in your podcast noted down a few i haven't done this before so let's see how it goes a few quick five questions <laughs> sweet <laughs> I just, I love the I like, around yeah quite like this. all right so uh there's a random number of them as well no 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 design here i just chucked a few. I, honestly half the time i would make up half of them live <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, just sort of this <laughs> yeah why not so i right, come on let's, let's do this rapid fire round I'm gonna, come on get serious i'm gonna be serious now yeah, you have to take it very seriously. Very seriously. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, bagels. I grew up on Long Island. It's it's yeah, it's compulsory. It's like blood. <laughs> yeah. It's like air. 
<laughs> What's the most impactful or insightful book you've ever read about entrepreneurship? Hmm. I mean, I think the first one that comes to mind is the Lean Startup. Mm. Uh, read that super long time ago, but it definitely shaped how I thought about building startups and focused on learning and research and just getting things at the door without it needing to be perfect. So the Lean Startup also modeled how I do a lot of community design. So that was very mm. impactful for me. What about your favorite book to gift to others? Hmm. It's funny, the things that are coming to mind are because um, I just have a lot of like friends who are parents who are having new kids recently. So I've been gifting a lot of uh, like bringing up Bebe and <laughs> um, like all Emily Oster's books. Um, so if you're parents, yeah. you'll get those too. Um, otherwise, um, I've given away um, Man's Search for Meaning is one that mm. I've given a lot um, by Viktor Frankl. Yeah. Two more. What habit has had the most positive impact on your personal life? Uh, taking hikes. Definitely as of late, um, we moved into the suburbs above New York and there's a hike I can walk to and be in the trees within 10 minutes. And it's like drastically improved the quality of my life, especially if I'm having a hard day or feeling stuck. I just walk to the woods and I come out. It's like my therapy. I probably nice. should get an actual therapist, but it's also <laughs> like therapy. It's, it's free though. It's free. That's a that's free, free therapist. Free therapy. <laughs> all right. Last one. This is all, it always helps me when I walk in a room. What's your number one conversation starter? Hmm. I don't know that I have a good one for this. Um, I find that like a lot of the time when you just have a standard one, it's kind of ends up feeling a little forced. Yeah. Um, so I kind of follow the flow and energy of a conversation. And I like follow-up questions. I know this isn't what you asked, but I really like, I think a lot of people ask a question and then they get an answer and they immediately move on. And something that I think has helped me a lot in being a better conversationalist and connecting with people um, is to just like keep asking follow-up questions and dig deeper and deeper and ask why and try to unpack things rather than just move on to the next question. Well, I would take your advice and continue doing that, but we're out of time. So uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'll, I feel like I need to give you an answer to that. So I won't give you mine. I'll give you my friend, um, Jay right. Klaus's, uh, that I quoted him in my newsletter today, actually. One of his favorite questions to ask that inspired my newsletter today was, um, what is something you believe, but you don't yet have the data to back up? Mm. Nice. All right. Cheers, David. Good That's to speak okay. to you, man. All right. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. So thank you very much to David for joining me on the show and to you for listening. I really enjoyed that conversation. As I said at the beginning, I really appreciate David's honesty and his insights, not just into the world of community and business, but also into the importance of just taking time to stop and reflect. Next week, my guest is Gina Bianchini. She's the founder of Mighty Networks and an exceptional entrepreneur. So make sure you tune in to hear our chat. Until then, have a great week.